listeners to another episode of a totally Arsenal podcast. I'm your host Mornay and my co-host as usual, Aiden. Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon to all the listeners out there, wherever you're listening from. 22 games unbeaten, but let's go first to the Huddersfield game. Prior to Huddersfield, four points, and if we had to throw to Huddersfield, I think it would have been a disaster. Clearly, they came to the Emirates to park the bus. They were quite resilient. And they made it really, really difficult for us. Yeah, for me, it was like, you know, a tougher game than expected. Um, but, I mean, you could see the way that uh, Wagner, the Huddersfield coach, set up. You know, it was a case of, as you said, you know, the parking the bus thing. But, you know, it was just, they, their main aim was just not to let us play. So, you know, they were flooding their defense. They were flooding their midfield. They were just, you know, having like a little free runner <clears throat> hanging on the halfway line. So, in the event of you know, a counter-attack. But I mean, look, that was never going to really happen. So there was always like, you know, one-way traffic. Um, other point was, uh, we are allowed, I just will almost like dictate the, I want to say, not like it's like in a positive way, but I just feel we're almost like rushing us into things. So you ended up having us, um, you know, instead of passing the ball to each other, we're like firing the ball to each other. So, I mean, that's why you ended up having you know, and, uh, certain players, even the goalkeeper at times, being put under needless pressure. So, I mean, Leno gets pressurized into a, you know, a longer goal kick that he was, you know, that he was probably planning to do. They didn't end up just going straight into touch. Or you had people like, you know, Bellerin or Mustafi thinking they got like ages on the ball. And they, within no time, they were starting to get closed down by the midfield of Huddersfield. Because they were like, you know, doing such a high press. And, you know, in the end, we were not just woofing the ball, you know, almost like into needless spaces. And, yeah. you know, for me, bringing on unneeded pressure. I think um, I just felt it really well. They almost exhibited kind of like a, a basketball press, the way they were mm-hmm. squeezing us down. And like you mentioned, that I think I, don't, I think our formation also never helped with the likes of Guendouzi, Torreira and Xhaka in the middle of the park. I think... It always lacked that creative spark that could have maybe, you know, got yourself out of this tricky situation if a team with an intricate passing. We didn't have that now with the three of them in the middle of the park. It's almost like we were sitting up for a away game against Stoke. Because, yeah. I mean, yeah, 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 I fully agree. Because, I mean, for me, it was really a needless decision. If you think going into a, a home game, you're playing against like one of the, at the time, bottom three teams. So I think you know, actually more positivity was needed, not so, you know, because for me, the way he set up is almost like something I would have thought if we were playing, say, Man City type of thing. Then I yeah, could I, expect, you know, that type of setup. And, and it could have been uh, in disaster. I mean, we didn't pick up that three points. I mean, <clears throat> beating Spurs and throwing to uh, United would have been meant nothing then. Mm. No, because look at the moment. We're just not trying to, you know, stay in touching distance of the front two. Because, I mean, at the moment, it's like a Liverpool and City are in like this two-horse race. So, we're just trying to be in and around third, fourth in that, you know, in that region. Yeah, we can't afford to drop points. And I think, again, in this game, Aubameyang for me, I know he had a decent game. But, again, missing an opportunity when when he could have, you know, put tucked the chance away. Yeah, because for me, like, uh, you know, Chances did come our way midway in that first half, you know, when we were starting to get somewhat of like a kind of grip. But I mean, look, it was a very untidy game in general. But, uh, you know, when, when the chance came our way, it was you had Obama Young, 
skewing that shot. Yeah, the new head also. A perfect ball by, I think, Gwendozi to Lacazette. And I think a calmer head would have... Because almost like he, Lacazette had too much time on his hands and he ended up, I think, uh, slipping again and, and, and shooting the, uh, the he's against his standing foot. Which means but, the but, ball just like bobbled to the keeper. I think Lacazette in a bombing struggled as well because there was no real creativity behind them. And like you mentioned, we were forced into certain things. So a lot of the time we were forced into knocking the ball long. And there was no, you know, that, that I have the needle pass that could have gone through to Aubameyang and, and like I said, so it's almost like they were having to fight for their own service. Mm. And I mean, look, if you think of it now, on like on the stroke of halftime, that was actually the real chance, you know, clearing chance that we had because it was when also were, you know, doing well with a build-up in the midfield and then the ball breaks to Torreira, who then takes one of these arrowing Top corner shots, and I, you know, I actually thought it was in because even when you had a look at the the crowd behind the goal, you could actually see them all on their feet already, like fists in the air. And then you saw this Adesuil keeper Lossel pull out, you know, almost like a wonder save, getting a you know clawing that ball out of the top corner. I still feel to is going to eat one of those long range and it's going to come off. I did not win, but the one of those long ranges are eventually going to come off. I mean, you know, when when watching him. For the for the Uruguayans at the World Cup, you didn't think you know that much of him as like say a danger. Look, I didn't watch him really ever when he was at, at Sampdoria. But then when you saw him in in like the first few games for Arsenal, you know he was like you know having that that that, that shots at goal, and you're thinking okay, maybe he's gonna you know doing it and But you can actually see he knows exactly what he's doing eh, when he's having these shots. I mean sometimes of course it it does <coughs> skew off the boot somewhat. But I mean, there's some matches he's played, like even that Liverpool game where he just waltzed through that whole uh, Liverpool defense and had a shot straight to Allison. I mean, if he had now, yeah. you know, just tucked in one of the corners, I think it would have been one of the, another one of the wonder goals. And he's and he's been a player that we've been crying out for years. I know people always said um, we like a petite over here type, a petite over here type player, but it's almost like he's carving a much smaller mold than both those guys are. But you know, he's almost. Doing the same kind of job that they did for us back in the day. Oh yeah, so what I wanted to ask you, um, what was your take on that uh, Lacazette goal that was scratched off for supposedly being offside? For me, I I thought it was a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I watched it a few times over. It's like easy interfering with play because he is closing the guy down, kind of thing, running after the ball. But at the end of the day, the the Huddersfield guy did. Touched the ball, which clearly made him then not offside, technically not offside. But it's a very debatable thing. I mean, it could have gone either way because, like I said, he's closing the player down. So does that count as interfering with play? I don't know. What do you think of that closing the player down thing? Look, I first thought when he started his run offside, but look, it's down to the the linesman to react. Because, I mean, for me, it's like my eye was watching now eventually the linesman as well and when that ball then broke you could see the the, the um Huddersfield player was now gonna you know win the um, like up and the, and i mean what the minute the ball that came under control i thought okay is he gonna now flag and they allowed the play then to go on and then something like then you got into a, again a second phase of play and that is when that guy decides to go for a back pass and that's almost like when when it goes active again and then he intercepts so i thought he was like, you know, they were going to give it because of the, you know, it was like that second phase of play type of thing. 
yeah, I think Arsenal's been very unlucky with, with, with these kind of decisions this season. I think then, going into the second half, a very, very brilliant substitutes from Emre with bringing on uh, Mkhitaryan and Iwobi. I think it kind of changed the impetus to the game, although I do think Mkhitaryan and Iwobi still look a bit, you know, short of confidence compared to how they were in the start of the season. Yeah, because, I mean, look, now now brought now the width on. And, I mean, uh, it's almost like, okay, hindsight's always twenty twenty type of thing. But, you know, what you just said now a few minutes prior about, uh, you know, the setup of the team. You know, like, Huddersfield already from the get-go should have been a team where, like, you know, an opponent where we can already go with, you know, like out and out wingers playing this game, not, you know, flood the, the team with, with holding mids in what already is going to be a, a constrictive midfield with all, like, you know, with them also adding probably five or six people in midfield. Because I think at, at one point, I just were playing with something like six, because I think they went three at the back and I think six in midfield. And, and I just think that, that is almost like, you know, you're wasting, you know, away players, because I mean, you could have not had a different ploy for Huddersfield at that time, going into that, 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 first half already, but okay, changes were made, and you could see eventually that also that, that something we've been hopping on for a few podcasts now about, you know, with that high press constantly by our our opponents, because I mean, it's not like the first time, it's all of them do it, and you can actually see after that, that something like the hour mark, whatever that is when the legs start giving in, because, you know, you we're all human at the end of the day, and I mean, yeah. they, they are human at the end of the day, they're not just as machines for athletes type of thing. So you could see fatigue started setting in by them. And I mean, that's almost like allowing us more time because then you started seeing, you know, when Makatarin was pressed with the ball a lot, first off, sorry, second off, yeah. and you will be, all of a sudden, they started getting the run on people and people were rather backing off of Huddersfield and, you know, attacking or pressing or whatever. And that's where you could see we're wearing, slowly, slowly wearing them down. I think it was just a matter of time before we would get that elusive goal to, you know, get us back in charge in this game. And I mean, also, if, if you look also, there was a moment in that game where I think the camera panned on, on Emery and I think it could have been like some like 20 minutes ago and he was just showing them calm down. Because it's not like we were, you know, trying to chase that for that, as you said, the elusive goal. We were just like rushing. So everything was getting a bit, again, hectic, too hectic. It was like the way it was playing out in the first half. And like that, when he started telling him to calm down, you could actually see a few other players, especially like Wendozi, almost like slowing, getting that, that, that taking that, almost like some of the sting out of the game even more. And, you know, more doing more rational decision making. Like, I mean, it went throughout the team like that, but that was a major positive for us. I think that's what you need in a manager, not, not someone that's going to, you know, only speak to you at, um, before the game at halftime and sit on your hands for the entire game. You need that just to tell the guys to calm down because at the end of the day, you're going to rush things against a team like Huddersfield. You're going to run into a brick wall because they did not come there to attack. They did not come there to open gaps for us. So we had to, you know, think about it before, you know, making rash decisions all the time. And I mean, like when the breakthrough came, you could see, you know, just that, that point where that Emery was making out of, you know, keeping a cool head. At, you know, a, a really bare fruit. And because then you saw Gwendozi, instead of what he was doing, like for most of the game, he was like, you know, firing the ball to the play, like our players. This time, like with, with that last, some like last 15 minutes or so that we, he ends up just lofting the ball 
I think no, no, with the last something like what, seven or eight minutes. Yeah, seven. He ended up lofting the ball again. You know, that's a cool lead, and then you see Aubameyang who instead of we would probably been snapping at the ball or stuff like that. He, this time he took the ball out of the air and looked a bit, you know, calmer, bring the ball down. And, uh, you know, it was like everything then went for that few seconds. It went almost like in slow motion because you could at least see the minute he brought the ball down, the three defenders from Huddersfield already started being sucked in there by him. And then, of course, the goalie also thought, okay, I'm going to try to close him down. So they were almost like making this little circle around him. And in that time, he, you know, got his head up quickly and then saw that open pocket of space that, that Torreira was staring off into. And I mean, for me, it was perfect pass in that perfect zone for Torreira. It was, it was a brilliant finish. It was a, a typical striker's finish, not a, <laughs> a defensive midfielder the way he adjusted himself. It was a fantastic goal. And the irony of once we scored the goals, I was like, Arsenal, shut up shop until I just feel, okay, now you have to yeah. come and attack us. <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, at times, which I actually liked, and I think something that is where we just always come to bat, uh, you know, bite us on the backside in uh, previous seasons when we were, like, leading 1-0. We would go up to the other end and we'd, like, you know, try to force the second or try to force a third or whatever. And this time you had players going forward, but they were going to the corner and just seeing that we were winning throw-ins on that side. We were winning, you know... Even if it was like little fouls or whatever, we were just seeing that the action was in that corner of this, so that there was you know no way for them to come out over to our off. Yeah, it was, it was something maybe that the old Arsenal wouldn't have exhibited. You know, once they score a goal, they were still you know maybe a bit vulnerable to conceding. But I think Arsenal once they got that goal, and then we saw it against United as well. Sometimes where they're like, okay, is what, what we have is what we'll hold. When we were two two, we thought, okay, we'll take a two two at Old Trafford. And now against Huddersfield as well. Why not up? We're like, okay, we don't need to score any more goals. We'll just take the three points. But um, <clears throat> like, uh, what what also <clears throat> stood out for me in this game was also this this ref. I think he was one of the new refs that came in, and I mean, I really was not impressed by him because you know when if you think the, the sort of aggression that Huddersfield came into the game with. I mean, there were a lot of heavy, heavy tackles going into that, I think, the first five or ten minutes even. And, I mean, he was letting it slide, letting it slide. And, I mean, I'm, I can understand if you're going to let slide, you know, uh, like a 50-50 that's kind of heavy or whatever. But, I mean, there were times we were getting players getting clipped off the ball. Uh, I think there was one moment also where Guendouzi was laying the ball off to somebody and he got, like, stomped, his foot stomped on. And I think they, that is when that ref should have now, you know, started taking action. And he let it slide and let it slide. And then you started getting, yeah, there was that, that flurry where it was, I don't know how many yellow cards he gave in a space of, I think, 10 minutes. Where yeah. I think he booked almost like the whole Arsenal defense and some midfielders of ours. And then, of course, he uh, booked also a flurry of Huddersfield players. And I thought to myself, you, let, uh, you as the ref or the official, you let yourself in for this sort of thing. Because you lost control early on already. Because I think if he had, you know, stamped down or stamped it out already with a first late tackle, like even if it was just a one yellow card, I think everybody in that, like both sides, would have probably, you know, taken a step off the gas a bit and, like, you know, thought things rationally through instead of, you know, that blood, guts, and glory type tackles. I think that's the thing these days with the refs as well. I mean, if you if you don't show like lay down the law in the start of the game. You can let that game turn into a very ugly game because suddenly 
things start flying, tackles start flying in, and then there's almost like a, a biasness towards the ref trying to cancel out earlier mistakes, and it becomes a back and forth, and it can it can hamper the game as well. I, I feel with, with regards to this game, like the positives, I think Arsenal are developing under Una Emery. I mean, they've shown again that they can win ugly, and I think another positive is. Uh, it's, only th- it's our third clean sheet now in the e- EPL for this season. Mm. And um, then, of course, we're going to now draw a line on that. Going on to the Karabakh game, which was <laughs> somewhat uh, a forgettable fixture. Yeah. Like <laughs> you had like a, you know, a barely filled up Emirates Stadium. You had, you know, look, everybody knew... It was going to be a dead rubber from the start. So, you know, we now set out our team with, uh, you know, blooding the youngsters in and then bringing back, you know, welcome return for Ozil and Koscielny. And I just found, you know, look, from the get-go, we already saw Karabakh's whole intention. It was like, you know, not to get the ass whooping. So they just ended up, you know, sitting, sitting, we dictated. And I don't know, at, at, at times... It, felt like watching a testimonial game or something because you know people were not you know really into going in for tackles and stuff like that so very like a played like a friendly i think Karabakh was very poor as well like they i you know sometimes you see teams come to the evidence and you're like okay this team looks threatening but Karabakh didn't offer like you said anything that it was like a testimonial match that there was no threat there it was like a training game almost and to be honest, uh, I, I could have almost, almost nodded off. I'm sure there would have been a cure for insomnia for a, a lot of people, actually. I mean, at times, there were moments in the game that reminded me of playing Hardisville 2.0 because uh, everything was playing out the same way, you know. But, you know, one for, for, for like one thing I've actually found worrying, especially for somebody like El Nini, because, look, there's not people not trying to somehow forced their way into Emery's squad of probably 18 or something like that, you know, for the league, uh, for the, you know, vital uh, League Cup games coming up also. But when I watch El Nen in the East, East, there's like no real, you know, conf- or self-belief because there was one moment where we were on the attack and, and, and camped out in their half. And I thought, okay, you know, add pressure onto them and, 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 you know, give it the right go. And he won the ball, I think, close to the halfway line. And he stopped. He turned around. He Actually, there were people on the left of him that he could not play the ball infield to. And he stopped and he played about a 50, yeah, 50, 55-yard pass to Leno, which almost did not reach Leno. And I thought, I mean, why do that? You're not going to win Emery's, you know, praises or, you know, catch his eye by doing stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's uh, it was, I, th- I think he's very comfortable where he's at the moment, you know, just playing Europa League and, you know, maybe the odd Carabao Cup game and now FA Cup coming up soon. I think he's just happy to, to be a squad player for the, probably the rest of the season. Yeah, but I mean, I think if, if offers do come in, I think we will probably take it because he is actually up on that probably list of three or four players you know, that the club is willing to get off the wage bill. That, that's, I think it was Saka or something like that. He, he, he impressed me, actually. He stood out for me in this game. He, he showed confidence, taking on players, sometimes doing a bit, maybe too much. But I do think that 
he is one prospect maybe for the future, in my opinion, that does so in this game. Yeah, I mean, I thought, uh, I was actually expecting a bit more from, you know, some of the other youngsters that came on, also those that even played, because sometimes it looks like that people like Willock and Ketia, you know, to catch Emery's eye, they're willing to, you know, instead of when they dribble past two players, they think, okay, fine, now lay off. And then they will try to go for a third and a fourth play, and that's when they get either tackled or they lose the ball. And then I think to myself, you know, you actually did you know, all that hard work, and then the pans out to nothing. Yeah, I think we can uh, draw a line to that game and, and move on to Southampton now. Uh, any thoughts of how we should tackle that game or how we should go about it? Look, we already know what's going to come because it's probably going to be the Charlie Austin show again, you know, route one and him backing into our defenders and stuff like that. And I think for me, if Kosielny plays, look, I don't know how well he came off because look, they analyze all these players anyway after the game. So, I mean, in a way, could be also a good test for, for somebody like uh, Kosielny, but... Look, I think you mentioned that other game a couple of weeks back. I mean, I did not watch the game personally, the Southampton-Man United game. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, what was your take on them, the way they started the game and the way they, you know, almost like petered away later on when United came back in the game? Look, I, I do think Arsenal's going to come up against a rough and tough few minutes, or I would even call it 20 to 30 minutes. Southampton is going to come against us hard and they're going to try to take advantage of Arsenal having a slow start, as you saw against when they played United, they took advantage wholeheartedly. And we, I think we should not switch off and give any stupid free kicks because that, I think it was that Cedric who scored an absolute peach pass there. Yeah? So I think if Arsenal can just keep the composure and not concede any silly goals in the first, call it 30 minutes, come on. If, if we don't do anything come off time, I think we can really punish them in the second half because Southampton really switched off, hitting wayward passes. It, it, was, it was not a pleasant sight to see, actually. And I actually thought United were going to come back and win that game the way Southampton ended up playing. So if they're going to do anything like that and allow Arsenal to stamp the authority in the second half, we could put two or three goals in the second half. Because, I mean, look, they now have a new coach that they will probably all want to impress. So I think that's also, you know, where they could be now a bit dangerous, you know, trying with a under new regime now, trying to turn it on now. So I just think is the case of us now having to then weather that storm first, or do you want us to go, you know, all guns blazing in the beginning against them? I, I think we should weather the storm first because we I think the crowd will be rooting on the team on and like you said, under a new manager. You don't want to give them uh, sl- um, bombing all forward and hit, you know, with the route one Charlie Austin ball, and suddenly we get hit on the counter and we one two nil down. And I mean, you never know how the guys might react being two nil down. I know we've come back before, mm. but we can't expect this to happen week in week out. And I don't think maybe the new coach of Southampton will be as forgiving like Mark Hughes was when they go two nil up. Mm. And a little bit nervy. Sorry to interrupt, but. Who are we going to maybe play with Kostiani? Do we bring Montreal in at centre-back? Or do we go with a back three with Liechtenstein? I don't know. How do we hit it? Just I mean, that. we could go that path because, look, Liechtenstein, Montreal, it will be almost like, in a, in a, say, a back three. 
you've got a natural right-footed, like supposed like center, makeshift center back who can like play right back, and then you've got Nacho that has played now down the years now as a alternate uh, center back for us as a left-footer. So I mean, we got should be in that you know almost like a comfortable uh, back three because I mean Kosialny will probably just be allowed to dictate the, the play and whatever going forward. And I, I mean, I, I just think the, the the wise choices should really be made now in midfield. And what is going to be our play? Are we going to now go flying at them with out and out wingers? You know, having Mkhitaryan and, and um, Iwobi in, or do we bring somebody like Ramsey? Because I think Ramsey should be fit for the for the Southampton game because there was not much talked about him. But look, they said it wasn't really a you know, any ligament damage to his ankle. He just rolled it the other day in that uh, game that he played where he got injured. But other than that, I think up front speaks for itself. I mean, I would actually, you know, go something again like like uh, Emery did against Spurs where you have them playing almost more as wingers than actual, you know, two forwards that are getting in each other's way maybe. So... Well, they have just a false nine almost. False nine or you let Ozil... I mean, look, the uh, <laughs> other question is... Is Ozil up for this type of scrap? Because, I mean, this is not going to be a simple game, especially us being away. And, I mean, these Southampton players will try to smother him if it, if it is Ozil now. Because I just don't think he's going to be able to, you know, cope with, you know, these heavy-duty guys that play in midfield for them. Hopefully we can end uh, the stat of being... What 19th spot in terms of leading at halftime at the moment? I said Cardiff are uh, are joint. It's not leading games at halftime. But at the moment, you know, I'll, <laughs> as much as I've heard, I, I mean, I've heard pundits also not talking about it. But you know, all that aside, now I'm just thinking, what is that result at the full time whistle? That is, I mean, for me, that's all that matters. And if we're bringing home that threes every time, I'm happy. I'm very happy at camp. You can throw whatever stats, but I, I, in a way, on the flip side, I also get why they say about that, um, you know, that, that first half performance, because I'm not sure if it was Gary Neville the other day on that Monday Night Football, he was actually saying what what people are also forgetting. Arsenal are putting also themselves a lot out of having to, like I said, weather a storm in that first half. Because he said, rather than, you know, you blow your opposition away in that first half, and then you know you can dictate the position type side of the game. Because, you know, you're not pushed to to get that, you know, second, third, fourth, whatever goal to to win a game. So they what 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 Gary Neville was saying. We must also at, at, at times try to get that, you know, the almost like get the result first half already. The, the irony probably will happen. It's if um, the likes of Arsenal take a lead at at, at um, halftime and they go end up losing the game. Hmm. Yeah, but then you're going to hear again people saying the flip side again. Like, why didn't we stick to that, you know, what was carrying yeah. us all, you know, through. As I said, like, for me, at the end of the day, I am happy. I'm not I'm not somebody that really looks into the stat of, you know, the first half. For me, it's like, what sort of performance and how, how we can cope physically in the second half. And for me, at the moment, I mean, I've watched now quite a few of the top six. Now, but for me, only Man City and Liverpool are the ones that are, you know, they can turn it on second off. Like can uh, the sort of levels we we can, like you know, physically we can almost like just overpower the opposition. But I mean, look, we still find ourselves fifth as we now, you know, just try, you know, staying in touching distance distance of everybody. There's actually a stat I wanted to bring up. Um, 
Una Emre has made 14 subs before second half in the EPL, you know, so maybe like at halftime he makes those subs compared to the top six, which has made a combined 13 subs only. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's what do you think on this? Is it the case of Emre getting it wrong in the start of the game? Or do you think it's a case of him actually being a tactical genius and realizing that things aren't working out and then changing it? Because, look, it's, it's a, for me, it's a bit of both. If you can look at the height, sometimes doing those type of comments where you're like, oh, you know, on the fence. But I mean, I think sometimes he overcompensates. Like, if you uh, just take that Huddersfield game, for instance, he overcompensated by going three, it was like more defensive minded people in midfield, which was now not necessary, especially for a home game. And then afterwards, he makes that changes that should have been done, say, in the first half. I mean, like, started the game like that. And then no wonder that's why he gets that that, that genius label to him because it's not like he sees the error in whatever his decisions was, and that is normally when he makes the changes. Those guys that he has changed, they normally make that impact, or you know, somewhere down the line, they are the cause of that. You know, where the game starts swinging in our in our direction again. Yeah, that's hundred percent. I think Arsenal have the most substitutes that scored as well this season. So clearly, what he's doing is working and. We I can give him a lot of credit for is he's picked up a team that's now transitioning and you saw what happened with the likes of, you know, I don't want to compare them, but Man United after Ferguson left. They haven't really been the same team. And with Arsenal, a lot of people were like, be careful what you wish for, be careful what you wish for. And Emirates had to have a tough job. I mean, even like Gary Neville mentioned this, it's not just like, you know, the players, the, the staff in the club, like the chefs, the general office people. And, all of those things now is like Emirates has to deal with and he has a lot of big decisions to make. I think my only worry is that he's, you know, maybe over-managing at the at times because in games, it's like almost by minute by minute, he's having to think constantly. It's not like the team is just sometimes, you know, going in autopilot and getting the job done. I mean, uh, you know, uh, with this regard to the, the squad and all that stuff, I just think also what's happening now is you know, he's, he's become, you know, matter, he's, he's rotating the squad, don't get me wrong, but at, at, at points he's now, you know, almost like over-relying now on people because now you can see, now the injuries are clocking up and now something like that little unit he was working with is getting even smaller now. So it's now, you know, having to think even harder now. That's why for me, what's going to be very, very important going into, say, the next two to three weeks, this is where the club, and the board itself needs to also step up. Because look, he's got us now going into 2019 in this solid position now. I mean, going into that new year. So he needs to, you know, he needs to have the board's full support. So like when he says, look, I need two, say two defenders, one midfield and maybe a, a, another forward. They should be there. Because I, I know sometimes the club will sometimes throw money like, uh, you know, uh, we just spent so and so much on this person. We just spent so-and-so on that. So we're not going to have that much to go into. Now, that is where that sort of mindset should, you know, go out to the window and, you know, support him. Because, look, <clears throat> Emery, Salnehi, and, and and Sven, the three of them, I'm sure they know in good state what we need now going into that. Almost like, I wouldn't say home straight yet, but going into the new year. Because the minute, almost like the minute that window opens, you bring in already what you need. Because, look, we're going to, holding season is over. Welbeck season is over. Uh, Ramsey, as we have been saying in the last few weeks, he's one foot out of the door already. 
So, and I mean, you don't know, also know the futures of somebody like Ozil. You don't know the future of, of uh, El Neni. So I just think to myself, you know, this is now, <clears throat> the foundation's been now laid there by Emery. So now let's just keep on building. I'll keep on building. And now, uh, you know, you give him now that, that, that uh, second transfer window. Let him decide now what he wants. And, you know, let Sven, let him do the, the wheeling and dealing now. That I know you mentioned to me in you know, a private message with me the other day about maybe bringing in the Gary Kale because they said he may be available in January. I would personally love Gary Kale. I mean, I've been a fan of him since you know his Bolton days and mm-hmm. then he went to Chelsea. I think he could, you know, add some sort of um, like strength at the back for us that we may be lacking at the moment some, and some sort of leadership as well. Because mm-hmm. look, at the moment, we don't need. You know, just raw speed. We just need somebody that reads the game. Yeah. Well. You know, like you know, a lot of people were taking the Mickey out of of, of Socrates. Look, he's like I said, he's not gonna, you know, he's not the that Usain Bolt of of defenders. But I mean, he knows how to put his body in the way to make things very very difficult for you to get around. Because he might not be able to, you know, beat you for pace or whatever. But he knows when you. If he's gonna, if you as a as a winger or striker has the run on him, he knows he's just gonna start leaning into you and you know make him start, make life so difficult for you. You're gonna either overrun the ball or you're gonna be buffeted over something like that. I I do think as well, like you mentioned this previously, we do need that kind of striker slash winger because if a bombing and like I said, it's not gonna be there. It's quite scary actually that we don't really have a true replacement for you that can strike almost fear into the the life of the opposition mm-hmm. defenders. And I don't know, like, for me, I know you may, I mentioned Lozano and I watched him play against uh, with Inter Milan now, and I think it was Wednesday night or Tuesday night. And I do really think if we can maybe give an offer for him, it would be lovely to bring him to the Emirates, in my personal opinion. I mean, I'm still, you know, hope, you know, keeping my hopes up. Look, I don't know if it would happen really in January, but that... That winger from Lille, that Pepe, because I just think that would give us that option where you know we some you, you're not pressured into saying okay Obama Yang you're gonna go out wide left or go out wide right. We can actually have somebody as you said now having almost like a, a stable forward on the bench, whether it's him or, or luck is it. But then you actually got you know a genuine winger outlet on the left flank or whatever one whether he switched to left or right side. But I think sometimes we just do need that because. They bring a, a total different type of thing that you know what the striker center forward brings is like, you know the winger will not take on a guy, you know lure him in for the tackle yeah. and stuff like that, then they go past him. Whereas so like Obama Young is either raw speed to go past. Uh, look, one thing I don't have a problem with Obama Young. He's quite good with holding the ball up because he does bring everybody into play. That's what I like about him. If you compare now to uh, Obama Young, but I still think. You do need like a genuine outlet right and left. And that's why, I mean, I don't see, you know, long-term Mkhitaryan being that type of outlet because I, I, I really do think we need somebody that's not only strong on the ball, but has good footwork and, you know, that that willing to, you know, almost like if, if all channels are, are blocked off, we'll go, go it alone. And that's what we need because if, I don't know if you notice sometimes Iwobi or, or Mkhitaryan even, when their channels get blocked off, they'll rather play that five-yard pass back or sideways than think, okay, I'm going to go because I got the speed on you. I got the run on you type of thing. Was it the, the thing with Pulisic? Is he available in January? And do you think Arsenal have the, you say, I would say the cloud maybe to pull him to the Emirates or, uh, you know? Chelsea, I think it's Chelsea. 
Chelsea could be his destination. Because, I mean, they were they were keeping tabs on him in the summer already. And that, I, I don't know, there was something that, that happened. I forgot what it was, but there was also a moment where he could have been bought and there was some sort of, I don't know if it was now, <coughs> excuse me, between, uh, you know, Abramovich being a bit tight with the money at that time or whatever. But I just know that was already a deal talked about, even right up till the, the, the time that window closed, that, but it was mid-August or, like or uh, early August. Oh, it's, a, it's a pity. I mean, I'm also a big fan of him. I mean, we probably look like Dortmund 2.0 if we had to sign Pulisic as well. Well, we're tapping in all the other talent, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, for, so I'll pull a wrap on this now. Just I'll for the betting guys out there, would you? Uh, what do you say that you sell for Arsenal would be today? Yeah, but you must give the podcast thing so that they know. I mean, not the podcast, the Twitter account so they can tweet there then if they want. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Uh, we'll put it in the link as well. It's also at Totally Arsenal Podcast 1 on Twitter, but we will put it in the in the link as well of this uh, podcast. Okay. So I'll wish our fellow Gooners a good weekend. Hope the result goes our way as well. I hope you guys take care. Please enjoy and share our podcast if you can. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Enjoy.